Longest Shortest Time is brought to you by Invitae. Your genes can tell you if you're 12% French or 6% Italian. They can also tell you a lot about your future health. When you take an Invitae genetic test, they search for meaningful health information, like whether you're at an increased risk for inherited cancer or heart disease. Based on your results, you may be able to take steps to potentially lower that risk. Learn more by visiting Invitae.com. That's I-N-V-I-T-A-E.com. About six months after my daughter was born, my husband and I went out for our first big night in New York City. We live in the suburbs in New Jersey. Anyway, one of my husband's coworkers was getting married. It was a low-key cocktail sort of thing at a bar. And after the wedding, a bunch of us went out for dinner. We wound up sitting across from this woman my husband works with, Jane. Jane's my friend. I've known her for many years. And that night, Jane had a date with her, this guy she'd just recently met. My name is Julian McCullough. Jane seemed completely head over heels for this Julian McCullough. If you recognize his name, it's because... I am a stand-up comedian. Julian's been on TV a bunch, mostly on the show Chelsea Lately. And he tours all over the world doing stand-up. Here's Julian on his Comedy Central special. So uh, I actually, the truth is I quit drinking uh, not too long ago. Because uh, I, w- well, I was going to die. And... Uh, <laughs> It has been amazing. So much has changed. I have dreams now. <laughs> Not for my future. At night when I go to sleep, I'll dream. Because I didn't dream for 10 years. Did you know if you go to bed wasted, your brain can't dream? It's like a medical thing. I have my own theory, and that's that your brain is like, dude, I'm not going to entertain you after what you just did to me for the last six hours. <laughs> Oh, you want to feel what it's like to fly? Go f*** yourself. I'll be up all night with your liver figuring out how we're going to make it to 50. So anyway, that night when I met Julian, I liked him. He, he was a funny guy. I mean, obviously, that's his job. But also, he was kind of putting on a show for us, you know, like like performing. Like, he was trying to impress Jane's friends. And then and then at some point, he sort of just zeroed in on me and my husband. You know, he, he looked at us. You know, he, he knew we had a baby at home. And he said um, this thing that kind of stuck with me. He said, I'm not used to being around happy families. That's a weird thing to say, and I don't know why I said that. <laughs> was it charming? It it was, but it also, I was like, wow, you're reading a lot into something. So since that first time I met Julian, he and Jane got married. They have a daughter now, a one-year-old named Goldie. They live in L.A., and his job keeps him on the road a lot. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hillary Frank. Today on the show, I talk to Julian McCullough. When someone says something to you like, I'm not used to being around happy families, you kind of can't help think that they must have had a rough childhood, which is, of course, what I thought that night. And then um, that was kind of confirmed for me when I heard Julian tell a story about his family on the radio show This American Life. I'll be playing a clip of that story in just a minute. But um, ever since I found out that Julian had become a father himself, I wanted to ask him if he thinks he's got a happy family now and what even makes a happy family and why he said that happy family thing to me in the first place. Well, were you a happy family well, at so, the time? Right. So, so at the time, you know, overall, yes. But 
you know, like I had had a really horrific childbirth experience and was just sort of coming, like emerging from that. Um, and, and things were like pretty dark at home for a pretty long time. And so on the one hand, I was like, wow, you think you know something about us and, and you're like misreading this situation. Yeah, but, that's definitely but also, what happened. But also it was just like, oh, wow, we're coming off as happy. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to hear the, what you went through because uh, now I know I have an idea at least of what that's like. So, um, yeah, I mean, if you had a, a six month old at the time um, and you had a difficult birth, then I know what you are talking about. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what I was talking about. but maybe you seemed happy for like a minute or something and you know that counts i think we were like thrilled to be out it was probably our first night away from our daughter like for an extended period of time like yeah definitely like out in this city it was i think it was our first time doing that Mm -hmm. we were we were probably like overjoyed so what i I actually was seeing was somebody who was thrilled to be separated from their family right (laughs) (laughs) great great well i'm a people reader i don't know what to tell you (laughs) well um so i want to get into uh sort of your your family history um Mm -hmm. and and maybe like what what made you arrive at a place where where you would think like it was unusual to see a happy family around you um so so I heard a story on This American Life um, that you told live at a at a comedy show mm-hmm. um, and sort of got a little insight into your family situation growing up. Um, and I want to hear more about it. But first, I want to play a clip from that story. And, and so in it, you're talking about how your mom left your family suddenly. Um, how old were you at the time when that happened? I was 13, I believe. Okay. I may have just turned 14 or something, but I'm pretty sure I was 13. Okay. And um, and she moved to Tennessee. You were living – were you living in New Jersey? Yeah, we were living in um, South Jersey. And uh, I was, I believe, starting high school or I was just – had just started high school. Okay. And and so you um, you would go down and visit her occasionally and, um, and she – you found out she had gone um, – down to Tennessee and moved in with her boyfriend named Rick. And I'm going to play this clip. Hang on just a sec. By the second time that I went to visit her, my mom's new boyfriend, Rick, showed up at the airport to pick me up. And Rick uh, showed up on a Harley, (laughs) which is a motorcycle, to pick someone up at an airport. And I was like, that's awesome. I'll just leave my bags on the twirly thing until I go back to New Jersey. He was wearing a t-shirt that's very popular. It's a Harley Davidson t-shirt. And the back of it said, if you can read this, the bitch fell off. And I was like, ha, it's my mom. (laughs) Is she okay? Let's get her. So, um, so Rick entered your family, um, and yeah, and, and in that story, you talk about um, actually finding out that he was abusive of your mom, and yes, so that's not a happy family situation. Um, and I wonder if you can talk about that and and what else was going on 
um, in your family as a kid that that maybe you know would have would have made it seem unusual for anyone to have a happy family? Um, well, first of all, that's the first time I've heard that particular clip played. I've never listened to it again. <laughs> that was a, a, a like that part that you just played is from my stand up act. Mm-hmm. Um, just that one little part. And I was very emotionally uh, detached from that part of the story at that point because I had told it so many times as in joke form. Um, but the rest of the story is so emotionally charged and fresh when I told it that I've never wanted to listen to myself <laughs> tell that story. So that was just an interesting experience to hear that version of my stand-up, but like so loaded with my my voice was so loaded in that it's really weird. But anyway. Um, but to answer your previous question, um, I, uh, I think the reason I said that I wasn't used to seeing happy families has probably something to do with, um, there's like some kind of, uh, open communication and open affection and like, uh, respect and stuff like that, that, uh, that I sometimes see in families that, um, I just didn't feel like was the same in ours or whatever. And like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong in reading that in other families, you know what I mean? The same way I did it with you guys that night. But like, I, um, my experience of family is, you know, mom wants to leave and (laughs) dad is checked out. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Um, but I also, it's not like I grew up like, uh, really upset about this stuff all the time. I, but I guess that's just because everybody thinks their family is normal. And I definitely thought mine was for a very long time. But, you know, there's always a lot that's going unsaid. And um, my dad's just not a confrontational person. And he also uh, – he smokes weed all the time. And, you know, he was in his own world a lot, even within our family. And I think my mom may have gotten – tired of trying to reach through to that um i didn't know that when i was growing up i interviewed my mom and dad together uh when my mom was uh dying of pancreatic cancer and my dad was taking care of her uh i interviewed them about their marriage and getting together and and divorcing and all that and that's where that came out where she said you know i just kind of felt like i couldn't break through the fog of your dad and and that he had put up and um there was just a lot of avoidance and there was a lot of like passive aggressiveness going on. And, um, there was never an argument. I've never was witness to an argument in my family. And to this day, I don't know how to conduct one myself, you know, and I don't understand that. Like if we get, if I get into a fight with someone I love that that's okay. And it's going to be okay afterwards. I feel like if we fight, it's because it's ending. Right. Isn't it? It's weird how healthy can look like fighting. Yeah. Like I the healthiest family I've ever seen growing up was um, the girlfriend I had senior year of high school. Her family was like ridiculous. I mean, they had they had three three kids. My girlfriend was one of them. And I think probably the first time I saw some kind of um, discipline happening from her dad or something like that, you know, his voice would get a different timber and it would get really scary. And then like somebody would run up the stairs and slam their door, you know, or something like that. And I'd be like, Oh God, like 
I got to get out of here because this is obviously going to end in in disaster or bloodshed. And then <laughs> and then it would just and then an hour later, everything would be fine. Yeah. You know, and I would. It, so it was her, her dad was very direct. He was very direct. I remember that clearly. Like and he was never worried about what you thought of him if he told you how he felt. Yeah, I, I, I've never told this story. I don't think in my life. But um, one time. Uh, he found an email that I had sent to his daughter um, and in it, it indicated that, you know, we had been having sex recently for the first time. And, um, you know, it was both of our first experience with it. You know, how old and, were uh, you? I was seven. I had had it once before and like a, at a like a one off. But this was mm-hmm. like my first like, you know more than once with the same person. Yeah. And um same for her. Yeah. And uh she was 15 and I was I think 17. Okay. And uh she called me like, you know, crying hysterically and um all that. And so I called him and went over there to w- take a walk with him and talk about it and it was I've never been scared or walking to anyone's house in my life. And um I again, you know, by this point I really like on a certain level loved this guy you know um and we went for a walk and he just made it clear how serious this was and um never said like stop it because he's not stupid but he was just really disappointed and sad and um worried and you know it was a pretty intense confrontation and um I will tra- take credit for initiating it, <laughs> but he – I wouldn't have said all the things that I said to him if he hadn't been so open and direct with me about it. Well, <laughs> I'm thinking so many things right now. So um, you're a father of a girl mm-hmm. and so am I and yeah. you're telling me this story and it's like terrifying me on a number of levels. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> um, uh, like 15, that's – like actually not that far off <laughs> you know? I know it's like know. closer than than we think and yeah 15 um, is is really scary and uh you know it's like you have to realize that your kid is uh an entirely other person yeah and, and they're gonna have their own things going on and you know there's only so much you can be you can only only so much you can do about it Oh my god! I I when I was pregnant, like when I was really like just about to to go, I um went and saw an education. Do you remember that movie with with yeah. Carrie mm-hmm. Mulligan and and she has that affair with the older man? And yeah. I bawled all the way through that because I knew I was having a girl. <laughs> it was just mm-hmm. like, oh my god, she's gonna she's gonna make mistakes, and we're not gonna be able to help her sometimes. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, the the, the thought uh, of all the things I'm afraid of for for Goldie, um, her falling in love with the wrong person or a person that's not going to treat her well is like my biggest fear. Because I can already tell that Goldie is intense about – she's in a very emotionally intense baby and she's super connected and like aware and self-aware and aware of you. And like I can tell that she, you know when she's going to form a bond, it's going to be like – not easy to do with her and then when you do it it's for real i can already tell that about her and i'm not even projecting because i'm not like that you know what i mean like i really believe that she's different from me in that way and it scares the shit out of me for her 
I know you can't help it, right? You want like your baby is born and and they're so pristine and you and I think you can't help but want them to stay pristine and there's nothing you can do. No, they're going to get dirty. They're going to get dirty. They're going to get upset. And it's like, yeah, you just got to let it happen. There's these uh, where this article about these playgrounds in Europe where they just they're just like abandoned pits of like debris and they just that's the playground and they and they're unsupervised and kids just like run around and they can light fires and there's a pond and they can like it's just old um, pallets and old truck tires and there haven't been any injuries and you know kids really are getting a lot out of it and in America there's like all these regulations for how steep a slide can be and you know the ground has gone from uh, sand to mulch to like uh, rubber yeah <laughs> you know what I mean it's like ridiculous like you couldn't hurt yourself on a common on a modern playground if you tried my daughter broke her leg on a slide <laughs> your daughter broke your leg on a slide yeah when she was 18 months <laughs> oh my god i'm so sorry <laughs> okay you know well, why it was because she went down on my lap which it turns out oh, never, you were don't being ever too... don't ever do that with goldie it's uh it's very dangerous i didn't know You're... that <laughs> yeah um yeah. see you were trying to be too safe i was well she if was you... gonna run down it and so i ran oh up god. and grabbed her and <laughs> Well, that's fine. I mean, she, yeah. you know, you probably prevented a much worse injury. <laughs> There's nothing you could have done there. I'm right. really sorry about that. By the way, I have a unique talent for putting my foot in my mouth with stuff like that. I'm amazing at it. <laughs> One time I was at, uh, I, was, I met Jane's grandfather and uh, I asked him what he had done before he, with his life before he retired. And he said, oh, I worked machine, heavy machinery in like a factory or whatever. And I was like, oh, well, you still have all your fingers. So that's good. And then he didn't. <laughs> So I'm really good at that. More with Julian and what it was like when his mom left the family in just a minute. Dads, you asked for it and we delivered. A Facebook group of your very own, just like our mama's group. Think of it as your place to talk about the big things in your life. Your baby, your relationship, your work, your tools, your your gadgets. Is that sexist? I'm going to get letters about that, aren't I? Anyway, join up Longest Shortest Time Papas on Facebook. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hillary Frank. We're back with comedian Julian McCullough. So I just want to go back to the the your family stuff so mm -hmm. you're saying that basically when you grew up your parents just didn't fight in front of you and it seemed normal but then you know when when you were a teenager your mom suddenly left right yeah well i mean i noticed uh you know she started using uh, being on the phone a lot which is weird and then um she started uh drinking vodka crayons which was weird uh, she never drank the entire time that I was alive. Um, and then when she left, she even said, like, hey, I'm going to go to Tennessee for a couple of weeks to visit a friend. So I told my friends and people, you know, around us, like, hey, my mom left for a little bit, but she'll be back. And then I feel like all those adults were like, uh-huh. But they were nice to me. They were like, oh, great. That We'll look forward to her coming back. <laughs> and then at that point, what did you think? Oh man, my my process—it's a very telling 
emotional thing about me, how I handled this situation. Um, I just remember when she announced that she was leaving and I put this, I think I said this in the story that like, I didn't feel anger or sadness initially. I just thought, well, I'm not going to tell you to stay because if you stay because of me, then you're just going to stay and be miserable. And I don't want you here anyway for that. So I'm just going to say, go, go for it, you know? And then I basically rode that wave for myself the whole time I was in high school. Um, I just kind of was like, well, it's just me and my dad now, you know. Um, My dad's really cool and we smoke weed together and listen to records. And, you know, as far as divorces go, it's pretty sweet. Um, When my mom left and I stayed with him, he became in my subconscious my savior and my protector. And so I would never – be able to it, it was very difficult for me to look askance at him or to look at him critically did you did you look at your mom critically oh yeah yeah i um i got angry with my mom all the time i don't mean directly to her face because that's not how we did things but um yeah it was very i was harboring a lot of anger at my mom and i uh definitely drank at her a lot in my 20s <laughs> you know and then uh yeah, it wasn't – I, in other words, I denied that I – to myself that I was upset about her leaving and then instead of discussing it with her and telling her how I felt and being honest with her about my feelings about the entire situation, I told her, don't worry about it. You're, you're not a bad mom. You're fine. I understood – I understand why you did what you did and then I would just uh, drink seven days a week. <laughs> <laughs> And be really subconsciously furious. And so, so you have a child now, and um, do you um, feel like you're in a happy family? Do I feel like I'm in a happy family? I feel like uh, our baby is very happy. I feel like we have a lot of happiness. I feel like I am a source of a lot of frustration and anger in my family. And and is a lot of the tension at home over you um, traveling for stretches of time for work? Yeah, there's a lot of tension about my travel. There's uh, more tension about um, me not respecting everybody else's time and life by keeping that schedule clear and consistent and um, accurate. The unpredictability is... Uh, aggravated by my irresponsibility and it's uh, a Molotov cocktail. For example, um, I, I recently got an offer to go out of town um, for what I thought was three days and it was four and I confirmed the offer and then bought tickets for a three-day trip and everything and then oh, it's the trip is a week from now and I found out that I had read the email wrong and missed the fourth day. So I'm going to be gone an extra day. And that kind of thing is um, super hard on people who are already being put out by such a strange schedule to begin with. And then to have that not even be accurate. When you say people, you mean Jane. Jane and eventually Goldie. I mean, you know, she's, she understands when I'm gone and it's, devastating to see how her react when i get home how does she react she's too happy it makes me upset how how does she express her happiness she's like she'll like i walk in the door and she freezes 
stares at me with her mouth wide open, starts shaking, and then just, like, screams. And, like, I don't want me walking in the door to have that effect on my daughter when she's so young because she doesn't – she shouldn't need to feel that happy that I came home again. Right. And I feel terrible about it. I, You know, I'm kind of – I don't want to say career obsessed, but like I'm very, very passionate about making enough money because I, as a child, was constantly anxious that we weren't going to have enough food or that we weren't going to make rent that month. And and we were going to run out of gas. That was another one. I was always terrified that I was sitting in the backseat. We we're going to run out of gas on the freeway. And um, the gas gauge was perpetually i mean only on e all the time we just drove when it was on e and i remember my dad saying I asked my dad can we ever just fill up the tank and he said because i was terrified we were gonna break down or lose you know run out of gas on the freeway and his response was um are you kidding me this car is such a piece of shit i'm not gonna put too much gas in it because then if it breaks down i lose all that money <laughs> So you're determined to never run out of gas on the freeway. I'm determined to not let Goldie feel like we're not going to make rent or not have enough food. Yeah. Or that she can't go on a class trip or that she can't have a certain, you know, have clothes or whatever. It's And it's not necessarily materialistic. It's more like I don't want her to worry about it. Yeah. You know, Um. But it is like it is weird because I've transposed that thing that my dad used to do with the car like by not keeping <laughs> enough money in the checking account because I'm afraid someone's going to uh, corrupt the account and take all the money. So I leave all the money in the savings and not enough money in the checking and it's always like too close. Uh -huh. So I realize that like it's weird how this stuff comes out yeah. in different areas and we can't necessarily we have blind spots we're always going to have blind spots that's right while we're trying to fix ourselves through our kids what does um a happy family look like to you in your in your future what do you what do you imagine uh a happy family is a happy family to me is something life is inevitable so bad shit's gonna go down and um like, I don't think anybody needs help when things are great. So when bad things happen, and specifically in my daughter's life, I feel like a happy family is one where she doesn't feel like she can't come to us with that. And um, not even expect us to fix it necessarily, but just to come to us with it. And then we all absorb whatever befalls us as a family. It's not every man for themselves. And then putting up a good face for everybody else in the family, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's what a happy family is, is one that uh, goes through life together and, and deals with their problems together. Um, and I hope that that stays true even when she's a teenager and she's not going to want to talk to us about anything. Um, so a team, I guess a happy family is a, is a real team and not like uh, a series of uh, individuals. 
team McCullough is in Scotland right now. Julian is performing pretty much every night this month in Edinburgh's Fringe Festival. Jane and Goldie are tagging along too and get to see him during the day before he goes on. When I talked to Julian, Jane was actually sitting right next to him, holding the mic to record him for me. So she caught every last word of what he said. I've definitely heard all of this, and we've talked about all of it before. I didn't know that he had sex with a 15-year-old ever. (laughs) That was new. If you don't happen to be in Scotland right now and you want to hear Julian talk on stage about his family and his love life, you can catch him lots of other places. He updates his schedule regularly on Twitter at Jules Mac. That's J-U-L-E-Z-M-A-C. Here at The Longest Shortest Time, we've got our own event coming up. Speed dating for mom friends. You know how you're always telling me you can't find moms to hang out with because you're too busy or you don't find people you click with? Well, this is for that. It's happening in Brooklyn at the Bell House on October 22nd at 7 p.m. We'll even give you a free drink and a night away from baby and new friends. What more could you want? Tickets are now available. Find them at longestshortesttime.com in the soon section. This podcast is a production of WNYC and The Longest Shortest Time. The show is produced by me, Hillary Frank, and Joanna Solitaroff. Jim Briggs is our engineer. Our theme music is by The Batteries Duo. Special thanks to Chris Bannon, Jonathan Menhevar, and Jesse Dukes. And I've got a little assignment for you. If you like this show, please write us a review on iTunes. It actually really does help us. I'll be back with a new episode in two weeks at three o'clock in the morning. And as always, if you have a story of a surprising struggle in early parenthood that you'd like us to consider for this podcast, go to longestshortesttime.com and submit your story. I'm standing outside Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. Inside, there are like a trillion objects, and I have to go in there and find ten. So we open a drawer here, and there's Indiana Jones's jacket and Indiana Jones's whip. What is this? Now Prince donated this guitar. <gasps> I'm Asif Manvi, and I am lost at the Smithsonian. Where do I begin? This place is obviously full of fascinating stuff. Fonzie's jacket, worn by Henry Winkler on Happy Days. There are 156 million objects in the Smithsonian's collections. Here are Muppets. These aren't just objects. They're pieces of America's self-identity. I'm looking at a, a robe with the name Muhammad Ali. Only 10 episodes, only 10 objects. That's pretty amazing. Lost of the Smithsonian is out now. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.